Janet Fay was so happy. At 66, she'd found true love, and all thanks to a lonely heart's ad. She visited her new fiancé, who lived with his sister. Except, in reality, this wasn't his sister. They were a pair of killers, luring love-struck victims to their doom. This is a story of the Lonely Hearts Killers. Hi and welcome back to the Historical Crimes and Criminals podcast. I'm Steve, your host. The first Lonely Hearts ad appeared in 1695 in the catchily titled magazine, a collection for improvement of husbandry and trade. It read, A gentleman about 30 years of age, very good estate, seeks young gentlewomans with a fortune of £3,000 or thereabouts. These kind of ads gained in popularity and by the Georgian period we start to see men placing ads specifying exactly what they want in a female. Quote, Her bosom full, plump, firm and white. And it wasn't just the men who placed ads as we see from this snippet from a 1787 ad, and it was certainly a brave gent who wrote back to this strong-minded female, quote, He must not drink above two bottles of claret or port at a sitting, and that but three times a week. His education must be liberal, and his address captivating. And yet she wanted more from her suitor. In company, he must pay attention to his spouse and not ogle or intrigue by squints and looks with pert misses who constantly give men encouragement by made-up leers. The ads became a part of everyday society and to this end we see the pupils of Harrow School in 1825 deciding to play a practical joke. They placed an ad purporting to be a rich and beautiful woman, and they received over 50 replies. On the insertion of a second ad, they asked for the man who answered to be at a Drury Lane theatre on a chosen night at a certain point and to wear a monocle. The pupils in attendance no doubt found it hilarious to see many men all standing there with monocles on until gradually they all became aware they'd been duped. In 1832, we saw a farmer looking to get down and dirty with a new wife. Quote, My wife has been dead 13 months and I have three children. My house is my own and I have an acre of potatoes. I want a good steady woman between 30 and 40 to look after the pigs while I'm out at work. The ads had success stories, as we see from a Tyneside newspaper article in 1857, when a man who had placed and advertised for a wife 
went on a tour of inspection of 50 women who'd replied. He ended up marrying one of them that he'd fallen in love with at first sight. Lonely Hearts had become a lucrative business and in 1870 we saw the publication of the Matrimonial News. This was a newspaper solely dedicated to Lonely Hearts columns. And such was the popularity that by 1900 there were 20 such publications. In World War I, the Daily Express ran a story about a soldier serving in the trenches. Private White was described as the loneliest rifle at the front line and he wanted female pen pals to brighten up his life. He received 470 letters in just two days. Catherine Stack, a nurse in 1920s Philadelphia, knew what she wanted and didn't want in a husband. Quote, Can have dogs, but no children. Any hair colour, except red. No naggers need apply, and must not be fresh off the boat from Ireland. And incredibly in 1924, we see a 106-year-old from Tiptree in Essex looking for a man. The ad sadly didn't mention whether she wore white stilettos or not. Martha Beck was born Martha Jewel Seabrook on the 6th of May 1920 in Milton, Florida. As a child, she was overweight and underwent puberty prematurely. In later life, she claimed to have been raped by her brother. She went on to claim that when she told her mother what had happened, her mother had beaten her, saying that Martha was responsible. As a teen, Martha ran away from home for a short time to join a travelling circus. After Martha finished school, she studied nursing, but had trouble finding a job due to her weight. She initially became an undertaker's assistant and prepared female bodies for burial. During World War II, she moved to California, where she worked in an army hospital as a nurse. She would spend evenings at bars looking for love, and she eventually became pregnant. She tried to convince the father to marry her, but he refused. In single and pregnant, she returned to Florida. Martha told people that the father was a serviceman she had married, later claiming he'd been killed in the Pacific campaign. The town mourned her loss, and the story was published in the local newspaper. Shortly after her daughter was born, she became pregnant again by a bus driver named Alfred Beck. They married quickly, but divorced six months later, and she gave birth to a son. Unemployed and the single mother of two young children, Martha escaped into a fantasy world, buying romance magazines and novels and watching romantic movies. In 1946, she found employment at the Pensacola Hospital for Children. She placed a Lonely Hearts ad in 1947, which Raymond Fernandez answered. 
Raymond Martinez Fernandez had been born on the 17th of December 1914 in Hawaii to Spanish parents. Shortly thereafter, they moved to Bridgeport, Connecticut. As a teenager, he went to work in his uncle's farm in Spain. He married a local woman named Encarnacion Robles at the age of 20 and they had four children. After serving in Spain's Merchant Marine and then the British intelligence during World War II, Fernandez decided to return to the USA and abandon his family. Shortly after boarding a ship bound for the United States, a steel hatch fell on him, fracturing his skull and injuring his frontal lobe. It has been suggested that the damage caused by this injury may well have affected his social and sexual behaviour. On his discharge from hospital, Fernandez stole some clothing and was subsequently imprisoned for a year, during which time a cellmate converted him to the belief in voodoo and black magic. He would later claim that black magic gave him irresistible power and charm over women. In 1946, Raymond was released from prison and moved to Brooklyn to live with his sister. His relatives were upset with his appearance, which had changed dramatically since the accident. He was now almost bald, where before he had an abundance of rich dark hair. The scar from the accident was plainly visible on the top of his head. He started wearing a toupee. Raymond would lock himself in his room for days at a time and complained of painful headaches. During this period, he began to write dozens of letters to Lonely Hearts clubs where, through the mails, he began to seduce gullible females who were looking for love. Once he had gained their trust, he would steal money, jewellery, cheques, whatever he could embezzle and then he would often disappear forever. The victims, often too embarrassed to complain, rarely reported the episodes to the police. It was at this time he started corresponding with Martha Beck, resulting in Fernandez visiting Beck in Florida and staying for a short time. She told everyone they were to be married. He returned to New York City while she made preparations in Milton, Florida. When she was abruptly fired from her job, she packed up and arrived on the doorstep in New York. Fernandez enjoyed the way she catered to his every whim. He considered it a sign of unconditional love and he confessed his criminal enterprises to Beck, who then quickly abandoned her children to the Salvation Army. And so, in collusion, Fernandez continued to frequent many Lonely Hearts columns and contacting many women. Martha was to pose as Fernandez's sister, giving him an air of respectability. Their victims, feeling more secure, knowing that there was another woman in the house, often agreed to visit and stay with the pair. 
Martha was extremely jealous and went to great lengths to make sure Fernandez and his intended never consummated their relationships. The thefts continued and Martha and Fernandez searched through the Lonely Hearts ads looking for the next victim. This would be Miss Esther Hen from Southern Pennsylvania. On February 28, Hen married Fernandez at the county clerk's office in Fairfax, Virginia, after less than a week of knowing each other, with Martha Bett posing as Fernandez's sister. The three returned to an apartment on West 139th Street, and Fernandez pressured his bride to sign over her insurances and teacher's pension to him. Esther later described him becoming increasingly aggressive and agitated. Within a few weeks though, Esther Fernandez fled the marriage without her car and hundreds of dollars which her new husband had stolen from her. The couple were constantly on the move all over the country. On the 14th of August 1948, Fernandez married once again. The bride was Myrtle Young of Green Forest, Arkansas. Martha made sure the new couple didn't consummate their marriage, even going to the effort of sleeping in the same bed as Myrtle. After a few days though, Myrtle grew sick of this and expressed her protest. However, Fernandez had none of it. He and Martha overdosed Myrtle with a heavy cocktail of drugs, picked her up and put her on a bus to Little Rock, Arkansas. The police dragged the heavily intoxicated Myrtle off the bus, but not before Fernandez and Martha had robbed her of $4,000. She died in hospital the next day. Meanwhile, Martha and Raymond continued their way back east. They stopped at several towns and met with an assortment of women who'd been corresponding with Raymond. They managed to steal some money, but none looked promising as a long-term investment. They arrived back in New York and soon were scouring the Lonely Hearts ads for more victims. They found one in New England, but when they went to meet her, she was younger than Martha imagined, and she was too wise for their scams. Their money was dwindling lower and lower. The winter was coming, and neither Martha nor Raymond had real jobs. They were desperate for more victims. And soon, they located Janet Fay, a 66-year-old widow who lived in Albany, New York, she had placed an ad in the Lonely Hearts section of her local newspaper. After a short correspondence between Faye and Fernandez, both Fernandez and Martha visited the widow at her home. They arrived with a bouquet of flowers for Janet, and they spent the day strolling around Albany, speaking about religious matters and getting to know one another. Soon came the proposal which Janet readily accepted. Fernandez convinced his bride-to-be to leave Albany in favour of Long Island, where 
Martha had already organised a rented apartment for the three of them to move into. But soon, the newlyweds were too much for Martha to bear. One day, Martha walked in on Fernandez and Faye in bed together. Faye was naked, with her arm around Fernandez. Martha Beck claimed not to know what happened next, as she blacked out. But it was clear that in a jealous rage, Martha bludgeoned Janet Faye to death with a hammer. Martha and Fernandez then cleaned up the mess, wrapped Faye in sheets and towels and placed her body in the closet. The couple then drifted off to sleep. And then they cashed in all of Janet Faye's checks and wrote typewrite letters to her family, exclaiming that she was having the time of her life and was due to be married to a new man. The pair hid Janet Faye's body in a trunk, which they buried in the cellar of Fernandez's sister's rented house in Queens, and then they covered the grave with cement. Faye's family had become suspicious when she disappeared, but by this time, Fernandez and Beck had fled. By 1949, the grifters had been at their game for over a year, and they were seeking long-term cons, women who they could swindle over extended periods of time. Delphine Downing was a 41-year-old widow with a two-year-old daughter named Renelle. Downing had been corresponding with Fernandez for many weeks, so after the murder of Janet Fay, Martha and Fernandez made a beeline for Grand Rapids, Michigan. Downing was charmed by Fernandez, whom she knew as Charles Martin, and likely believed she'd found the perfect man for her. Not long after arriving, Fernandez began having sexual relations with Downing, something that enraged the jealous Martha. The fantasy for Downing, however, soon came to an end when she saw her new lover in the bathroom without his toupee, sporting a large scar on his head. Downing became upset, claiming he had deceived her. Her anger was building, accusing Fernandez of fraud. Fernandez convinced Downing to take some sleeping pills to calm herself down. But at the sight of Downing acting strange and falling asleep, her daughter Renelle started to cry. These cries infuriated Martha, who promptly choked the child unconscious, leaving bruises on her neck. The couple became worried about what Downing would do when she walked to see her daughter with bruises on her neck, so Fernandez decided to shoot her. He took Downing's dead husband's gun, held it to the unconscious woman's head, and fired once. Renelle witnessed her mother's murder from mere metres away. Martha and Fernandez wrapped the body in sheets and carried it down into the basement of Downing's own home, burying her under cement. After Martha had cleaned up the crime scene, they decided to stay in the Downing house until they knew their next course of action, but not before they'd sold Downing's valuables and cashed all her checks. 
Downing's daughter, Ronelle, was distraught from what she had seen and she cried endlessly. After two days, they came to a decision on what to do with the toddler. Martha held the crying child's head under water until she drowned. The next grave Fernandez dug was much smaller than her mother's. The girl was buried next to her mother in the basement. Beck and Fernandez could have taken this opportunity to make their latest escape from the scene of their crimes. Instead, they left the house to watch a movie. That decision led to their undoing. When they returned a few hours later, they walked in on police officers who'd been called to the Downing home by neighbours worried about Delphine's sudden disappearance. They had forced entry and discovered the graves. Raymond Fernandez and Martha Beck were arrested for murder. The two confessed to all their crimes in a 73-page confession. The next day, the Lonely Hearts murder case was the nation's headlines. It was page one in every big city newspaper. The couple were both under the impression they could only be tried in Michigan, a state without the death penalty, and that they wouldn't be extradited to New York if they cooperated with the police. This was a lie. The prosecutors decided to waive the charges of the Downing's murders in order to pursue charges for the murder of Janet Fay, their reasoning being that New York still had the death penalty. On the 18th of August, 1949, after 44 days of testimony, the jury of 10 men and two women found Fernandez and Beck guilty of first-degree murder. They were both sentenced to death by electric chair. In New York, on the 8th of March, 1951, at Sing Sing Prison, it saw a quadruple execution. At 11pm, the procedure began. First, two other convicts, John King, 22, and Richard Power, 22, from Queens, New York, were taken from their cells and marched over to the pale green death chamber. They were executed for the senseless murder of an airline clerk in 1950. Martha's last meal had consisted of fried chicken, no wings, french fries, lettuce and tomato salad. Fernandez ordered an onion omelette, french fries, chocolate and a Cuban cigar. Both Martha Beck and Raymond Fernandez were then marched to the electric chair. Neither faltered in their love for one another in their last moments. Their last official words, Raymond Fernandez, I want to shout it out. I love Martha. What do the public know about love? And Martha's, my story is a love story, but only those tortured by love can know what I mean. I'm not unfeeling stupid or moronic. I am a woman who had a great love and always will have it. Imprisonment in the death house 
has only strengthened my feelings for Raymond. The executioner, Joseph Frankel, of Cairo, New York, was paid $150 per person for his expertise. No relatives claimed the body of Fernandez and he was buried in the Sing Sing Prison Cemetery. Martha's remains were turned over to relatives and she was buried in Milton, Florida. Later sources suggest the death toll of the couple to be much higher, with some suggesting up to 17 victims. Well, that's it for another episode of the Historical Crimes and Criminals podcast. I've been Steve, your host, and until next time, bye-bye.